And I'm your host, Tyler Byrne. This is Lo-Fi Late. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple, and other places where you can get at your podcasts. It's going to be a fun interview. So let's go. Jason Keery is based in Western Massachusetts, where they completed their MFA in poetry at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. The Choice is Real is their first full-length collection. They are the author of the chapbook AstroTurf. Their work has appeared in Boulevard, Black Warrior Review, Hot Pink, Blush Lit, Peach Mag, and others. They have been anthologized in Mundus Press's Nocturnal Book. Properties, Nightboat Books, We Want It All, an anthology of radical trans poetics. Welcome everyone, this is Lo-Fi Lit with Tyler Byrne and Jason Geary. So Jason, how was the reading uh, yesterday? It was great. It was actually, um, it wasn't quite a reading, it was like a hard to describe but like an ambient noise night known for its noise community here sounds cool is it like at a bar yes and you get together and you just like listen to yeah we laid on pillows and wore pajamas (laughs) that's awesome tells us nothing like that (laughs) yeah definitely (laughs) you go to a lot of events like that yeah, there's, you know, we make our own fun here. Western Mass is a semi-rural place, so there's a lot of, uh, yeah, events that people put together, DIY stuff, readings. It's cool. Yeah. What's, like, the craziest event you've been to? Well, I feel like I'm an event coordinator, so I've put on a lot of crazy events. I don't know. Crazy? I mean, I've definitely had things of, like, you know, like... I don't know, like, I don't even know how to describe it. <laughs> I feel like the funnest event that I can think of that I semi-recently did was like a mini golf course in my backyard where everyone made like a little mini golf, uh, like, hole. And we oh, just... that's badass. Yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. Okay, so how'd you, how do you, get, how'd you get involved with events? Or just how did you get involved in poetry in general? How did I get... So I got involved with poetry through... I'm going to say that I started writing uh, poetry through writing lyrics. I was in a hardcore band. Um, before I was trans, I was, like, the lead singer of uh, the first, like, all-girl... I'm going to call us the first. I think we were the mm-hmm. first all-girl hardcore band in Western Mass. Um, so it was, like, you know, it's like, writing songs about, like, beavis and butthead and like poop and stuff and then eventually (laughs) from there i started doing like diy comedy nights was writing comedic memoir but the way that i was writing comedic comedic memoir i was like beating it out to read in a certain way and at a certain point realized i was just like writing poetry um or hybrid work and then i started reading poetry because I didn't want to be one of those people that was like writing poetry without reading it and it just kind of snowballed from there and then I went to the MFA program in UMass Amherst and that's when I got serious so you started out through performing yeah and you're that's cool because like you started performing and then your performances 
shifted and morphed over time into poetry, but it wasn't like a cut. It wasn't like you weren't thinking, Oh, I'm going to write poetry and then perform to start out. That's cool. I've never heard that before. Totally. Yeah. And so how do you get involved with like Metatron? Um, I, well, there's friends that were adjacent to it or published by them, just like work that I liked that they were doing. And, uh, you know, I really liked their politics of just like how they were handling their business. And I submitted to their book prize and won it. So that's, yeah, that's how I got it. What, what was the name of the band that you were in? The band that I was in? Well, yes. I had a few bands. Um, Rap Power. I was involved with this band called Sunburned Hand of the Man. Uh, which is like kind of like a extended like uh, it was like a lot of members in it. But my the band that I was in that I was referring to is called Chemi Plastica. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, we have a band camp. I don't know if I recommend it, but no, we were great. You can listen to it. So, have you thought about starting like a magazine with any of these names? These are great names. <laughs> Chemi Plastica. Yeah, that's the name of a chemical plant in uh, Florence, Massachusetts, the oh. practice space was next to this like plastics chemical plant. We don't know what they did. We like broke into the building like a few times and saw some like weird like powder rooms. So not into the building, but like outside of it in the fire escape and they had weird powder rooms. So I guess they made like chemical plastics, but yeah. Well, you <laughs> broke, did you guys plan it out and then you like broke into the building? We, like, just went onto the premises, you know, and, like, it wasn't really, like, a plan. We just, like, the practice space was right next to it, so. It was a heist. Yeah. You know, it could have been. We did talk about making a, like, banner that said Kimmy Plastica, like, our band, but, like, hanging it off the building, which would make no sense, because then it was, like, we were just giving them an extra sign. It was, like, already the name of their. <laughs> so their what are they doing in these rooms with these flowers? What? What are they doing in these rooms with these powder I have flowers? No yeah, there was just like ambiguous like powder rooms with like, you know, like rooms that were just like full of a uh, I don't know, just it was like pink powders, blue powders just like everywhere. <laughs> Sounds so heinous, like mysterious. Yeah, yeah it's mysterious. <laughs> so, have you read um this has nothing to do with that, but have you read Sea Witch by Never Angeline North? I have not. Oh, it reminded me of this kind of. That's a trans poetry, too. Let me write that down. That sounds great. Oh, it's awesome. But it's like it's a it's a it's a it's like a huge volume because they they did it over they did it over like five years or something. But mm -hmm. it's really cool. I think you would really like it. So, do you want to read some of these poems and then we could talk about them? yeah totally okay i was thinking maybe the first one could be uh tangle the ribbon of my favorite vhs got it all right tangled the ribbon of my favorite vhs how many wonders can one what would i give if i could what the people know i'm ready to know what a fire is and why Live out these waters, that world, this cavern holds everything, but is not that world. The girl who has everything answers. So I was going to ask about this one. 
when you're yeah. writing this because it feels like the form is dictated by the the vhf the tangled it is like a tangled ribbon of a vhs and that stops and starts and stops and starts almost like a movie or something like a broken movie that you could see it playing on a television are you aware of that when you're writing the poem mm-hmm. or did you try to write this in other ways first and what comes first like the form or the the poem it's like narrative story totally yeah i definitely imagined kind of disentangling um so these are little mermaid lyrics is the part of your world song um, is it five, really yeah yeah wow. there's five of the little mermaid songs in the book i think little mermaid is like a totally trans narrative so i was just trying to like re-script these songs and kind of like yeah like disentangling or like putting them back together in a certain way that was like uh bolstering this like trans narrative that's happening in my mind um or queer narrative that's happening in my mind little mermaid so yeah it's all found language and little mermaid yeah was my favorite movie as a kid (laughs) so when you go to write a poem you're very aware originally how you want to do everything um i'm like aware of a so like in this case like the vibe of disentangling but like not so much like the exact form that it's taking like i'll definitely keep like molding a form as i'm writing um yeah have you invented your own forms have i invented my own forms i mean that's hard to say you know I'm going to say, yeah, in general, I kind of just like, I'll like, oftentimes I'll look at, be looking at another poem and its form when I'm writing a poem, and then I'll just like, kind of like morph it from there, you know? So in a sense, like it's taking on a new form. Yeah. What's your favorite form? Like a traditional? My favorite form? I don't think I have one. Um, Definitely like... I don't know. I mean, I love a sonnet. Yeah. <laughs> As does everyone. But, you know, I don't actually have any sonnets in this book at all. So it's funny. But yeah, I think like in general, I'm just into like, you know, free verse. Like, yeah. Um, the poem that's like most closely based off of a particular form is the last poem, AstroTurf, um, which is just definitely like taking off from like Alice Notley and her like form. I mean, like, I think definitely the poem at night, the States comes out in this particular piece. Um, I'm trying to think of other forms that are in here. Was AstroTurf a chat book that you had published earlier? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's previous poems that appear in this book or in a, chapbook oblique editions that peter gizzy edits so when you watched little mermaid when you were a child did it speak to you then of like i don't know the same way it does now um you know it's like hard to remember what was like happening for me i feel like i, I don't know i feel like <laughs> yeah just like absorbing obviously i mean like i think a lot of what i'm like disentangling in the book is like absorbing you know like uh like straight narratives and in disney and kind of just you know like i definitely want it to be 
a princess. Like I didn't have like a linear uh, trans narrative where I like definitely knew I was a boy and was like identifying with the princes and like knew that I liked girls or something, you know, and like mm-hmm. then became a butch lesbian to like whatever. It's like I very much like wanted to be a princess and was like absorbing, like, you know, wanted my like prince to come along and kind of like, you know, save me and like help like script my future you know like very much believed in that happy ending and marriage and so I think a lot of how I'm viewing Disney now is like well first of all realizing that like all the villains are queer coded they're all oh yeah you know yeah and like so kind of like looking back and being like oh like what was that you know and it's like I don't necessarily remember identifying with the queer characters either like I think I just you know, was genuinely absorbing that like queerness was bad in a certain way and was like identifying with the princesses. But in the case of Little Mermaid, like, yeah, definitely I'm like rescripting that to be like, oh, like, yeah, there's like an element of queerness to her like desires, you know. Um, Did you see the new movie? I haven't seen it yet. I got I it. Either. <laughs> yeah. So is this book like a your Disney movie? Totally. I mean, there's like a lot more Disney in this book that than I anticipated. You know, it kind of like hit a point where I was like, "Am I like a Disney dyke now?" But I'm like, not sure. That's <laughs> is that a thing? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean, Disney dykes are. I mean, I guess it describes like any like dyke identified person that's like into Disney. But like in my mind, like you know, everyone knows like an aunt who like never dated anyone quote unquote anyone but like you know she goes to disney every year with her like quote unquote girlfriend you know um i feel like that kind of like trope got stuck in my mind in a particular Mm -hmm. way um yeah definitely got like obsessed with the idea of like that genre of disney dyke so i wonder if i'm a disney dyke i like (laughs) disney a lot i was reading a have it your way and it, it i was thinking of the movie tremors I haven't seen that. You haven't seen that with Kevin Bacon? With the monsters that like live under the ground and they're blind and they come up and they like eat people and shit? Oh, yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But this, it's that poem. Can we read that one? Yeah. Have it your way. Yeah. I love this poem. Have it your way. Let's say I'm turned on by the ball pit. At Burger King, we call it Play Palace. This, the type of memory that shivers tinsel when touched. I am encased in a glistening globe of soft-boiled plastic, dude sweat dripping like flies. Behind me, the nervous twitch of netting. Before me, a slide, the pit. The children shrieking at the balls, the parents. I am safe on my perch, poised for a sensual descent. I must permit myself this pleasure. I've had a hard day being a child. The pit. The parents, I watch them watching, children from the waist up. There is something to this, a strategy, yes. For all I know, their genitals are plastic, smooth like baby doll, like the balls glittered in spit. Bleach fume oblivion, a hot breath out the mouth of the slide beckoning. I take a last look through the porthole, the chaos of children who snuck fries into the pit, greased pagans slinging spheres of primary color, creation, it's Christmas Eve. To me, the other children are also some sort of Jewish. To me, Jewish means we are some, we are uninteresting and elsewhere. Who else would be here on this day in this shimmer of moment between things, my people, the palace? The parents are the Christians in their crotches. 
curious that there is something rather than nothing, that all of these children were made for what? For their upper halves, their mouths, for what goes in them, in. Are they really having it their way? For these are the sites in which we are taught choice. I slide. Friction tickles out a suggestion of body hair, pursuing my fullest pleasure. I lick the plastic interior. My tongue crackles, bubble wrap. I'm safe, swallowed, forget form, the words I'm held to, the prismatic light growing, an arachnid force field spindling into my groin. I land. The sticky pit slow infuse me into its sugar, sweat, and oils. Pleasure when I feel nothing. Void is sensation. I want to slip a ball into my panties, so I do. Have it my way. The smooth fupa of a Ken doll, or fuck it. Why not Barbie if I push in? Come on, Barbie, let's go party. Pop, pleasure. My momentary shiver cut short by shouts. Children shouts, then the parents, because it's me. And so I am told to split, meaning to go elsewhere, to get out, out. It's such a good fucking poem. Thank you. It's so concise and condensed. How do you choose? Sorry to go back to this. How do you choose the form for this one? Like in couplets? Um, how do you choose the form for this one? And it's hard to remember what was going on. I think the beating of it like I had it all in like one big block I remember that like I had it all in one big block kind of like writing like a prose poem of sorts but then like the memory of it felt just like slower and like beat it out and kind of like um yeah like paced to me in that way so I just chunked it up into couplets yeah and this one feels like I feel like one of the most uh I would say more political I mean, I, I, they're all inherently, I think, political as, and personal. Mm -hmm. But I guess, I don't know, maybe the, is that too, you, you know, like, not like that category? No, it's definitely all, I think, you know, definitely all political. Um, yeah. I was thinking of like Baraka or like Giovanni mm -hmm. for some reason. I don't have a long list of references in my poems to reference, but okay. So when you're writing this and you go from like, so are they really having it their way for these are the sites in which we are taught a choice? I slide. And then the next line you go to friction tickles out a suggestion of body here. How do you choose when you're writing to go to the next? like that decision to go to friction tickles out a suggestion about it here because that decision it's so it moves the narrative mm -hmm. but it's like outside from what was previously referencing i guess it just it moves forward in a different way mm -hmm. how does that choice come about do you like remember yeah definitely that like i mean in that particular line was thinking about how choice is a kind of like construct that like matures us that like the more mature you get as a child like the more choices you're given and that we're like taught kind of like choice through consumerism in a certain way so like having this kind of imagery of like tickling out a suggestion of body hair in relation to choice is just kind of showing like the maturation process of like me making this decision to kind of like pursue a, a sensuality like that was a choice I made to kind of like just really feel this ball pit <laughs> mm -hmm. 
certain sense, um, just, which of course, you know, that then got shut down. Like that's just so cool. You choose a ball pit and you just like so describe it in such a macro way mm-hmm. and then zoom it back out in a very large way. I mean, I guess that's like what most poems are supposed to be doing, but you do on such a great scale, you hit on several multiple things going on at once. I just don't know how to write. I'm really bad at writing poems. <laughs> I took a workshop by Rochelle recently. It's really good. Love Rochelle. <laughs> yes. How do you get so good at writing poems? When you go from performing on stage, and then you go into like an MFA, is that when you like get really good, or were you already really good? Um, you know, I think I got good in the MFA. Like I came in pretty fresh. Was like. Uh, you know, definitely coming from like a different background than a lot of the other students, like, you know, like coming in through the angle of like hardcore and like DIY, like comedy shows was like definitely Mm -hmm. not the average. So I think I had a lot to learn. And I really just, uh, yeah, I just took it seriously. um, And, you know, was writing the MFA program. I mean, people are split on like whether or not you like need an MFA, but for me, it just like gave me a lot of space and time to just write for hours and hours a day. Um, and I had like, you know, like an amazing mentor. I worked with Peter Gizzi, um, who, yeah, just pushed me pretty hard <laughs> in a way that like, you know, he taught me everything. <laughs> How did yeah. he push you? Like, were you writing in a certain way and he pushed you to write a different way or just like what to read? I think he was very astute at seeing what I was already doing and trying to do and able to kind of like, I mean, just has like an amazing repertoire of like references and like books and examples and would like, you know, just like show me different poems and like have me, kind of work off of that and just like you know yeah just do a bunch of prompts with like different forms and like ask a bunch of different questions and like be able to kind of like give like the appropriate assignment for each student yeah were there any students in there that like hated your poetry then oh my god yeah <laughs> really and you guys like butted heads i mean there was some moments where um you know there was like maybe like misunderstandings around like the nature of queer sex you know i i was um yeah in a position in the mfa i wonder what my poems would have looked like they were like a lot dirtier and a lot cruder like before the mfa because i was like in environments that were encouraging of that and i think like being around students that were less exposed to kind of like crude shit and especially when it comes to queer sex like oftentimes things can like appear pretty like brutal to the outer eye in a way that was like not like jiving with some of the students so i think i did kind of like reel it in to some extent so i'm curious how now that i'm like out of the mfa how my work is going to evolve like not having that immediate eye on my work yeah so you yeah because you came from a very like punk rock mm-hmm state and like were there a lot of like prestigious kids in there yeah for sure (laughs) um i think like most people had gone to like ivy league or like ivy league adjacent really 
Um, I mean, there was like all types of students. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I take that back. That I think that you know the program did like a pretty good job at like having a mix of students from different backgrounds. I mean, I think that's why they chose me. You know. So when you were um, like submitting to MFAs, where did you submit to? Like, how many places? I actually only submitted to UMass, so I just only ever lived in Massachusetts and never want to leave. So it wasn't even like I was like, thought I was going to pursue a career in poetry in a certain way. I was just like at a point in my life where I was like, this could be really nice. Like I had no idea that I was like submitting to like one of the like, hardest like programs to get into in the country. Just like, really? not, you know, like definitely. Yeah. Um, cool. When I like got in there, I like realized how important it was and like how serious it was and just like felt so blessed and like took it really really seriously yeah was it a safe space for like queer people yeah for the most part i mean like as i mentioned like there were some students that were would write weird feedback on my pieces i mean that's always going to be the case um but yeah like western mass in general is like a in terms of like a non major metropolitan area i mean we have like springfield but like it's like pretty rural here um we have like i'm gonna say like the highest concentration of queer people that live here um so that is reflected in the schools as well were you yeah. finding yourself when you were writing the poetry in this book definitely i mean i was working through a lot of so like for context was like coming out as trans during the program as well so it was like working through that um and you know it was like working through the death of my stepmother and my grandmother is kind of just like really like engaging with like concepts of like motherhood and how i was raised and came out on the other side of this book with yeah some resolve i mean the I think resolve of it, the title is The Choice is Real, which is like re referencing to the concept of like choice that uh, queer people have to make. Like so often we're pressured into proving that we didn't have a choice, you know, that we were born this way, that like, you know, yeah. like there was like no choice in like what we did. But it's like while I'm like, you know, I do feel like born this way in many respects, like I don't know if I would have ever like fully chosen to be trans because it's like really uh just like crazy experience but um like you know like there are a lot of choices that have to be made in queerness and so i was kind of like highlighting that and just like getting over this like intense pressure to like prove how i got here and kind of just like hit a point where i was like i don't care like i don't need to prove anything like i made a choice and like i'm here now and like who cares how i got here so i think like i really grew with the book in that particular sense yeah do you think right now, like in poetry, there's like, because I asked this to Aeon, if there's a like a, a trans movement in poetry? I'd say so. My friend Max is like currently doing this project about like why trans people are like so good at poetry that I find interesting. I don't know what his like answers or reasonings are, but, um, you know, I was like talking to him about the, you know, concept, like so much of like, poetry requires like holding a sense of like negative capability of like not needing to have answers which is kind of like what I was just speaking to where it's like being trans like I need to 
at a certain point, like sit with like not having answers, like you can't totally calculate like what the hell is going on or like what kind of like elements of like dysphoria and like queerness and like embodiment are. There's like no way to do the math around it. And you just have to sit with not knowing in a certain way and like sit with these kind of like in between like liminal states that like I think applies like very well to poetry. So like, yeah. It's also a space where you get to control the language how you want to. Mm -hmm. And you can do whatever you want. But that's also like if you're an insecure person, that's also very hard. But you get to do whatever you want. But, you know, something like that. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not as smart as you, clearly. (laughs) I'm not that smart. (laughs) You're very intelligent. Okay. (laughs) Oh yeah, I was gonna ask you. You're talking about your your stepmom, I think. Mm-hmm. Was she Di- Diane? Yeah, that's Diane. Do you want to yeah. talk about her a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, you know the the choice is real. It's kind of like working through one of like the early poems, things I had time um, that was like engaging with. You know, everyone talks about like when somebody's dying, like okay, like now's your time to kind of like ask all these questions and I kind of like had a moment where I was like I don't know like what I want to ask or like what I want to engage with but I do know that I'm like kind of like processing um just my relationship to her like as like a mother like my relationship to motherhood and of course there's that line where um one of the last things that she said to me so she had both breast cancer and um a brain tumor and the last things that she said to me before she kind of lost a lot of language from her brain tumor after having a seizure was that not to talk about my mastectomy um, at the dinner table because some people don't have a choice. So like that is a common thing with people with, you know, cis women who have breast cancer kind of like feeling a lot of ambivalent feelings towards people who choose to have mastectomies um, who are just like, can't really wrap their heads around it. So like, you know, I was like really pissed after that conversation and really thinking about that like concept of choice. And then of course, like that was the last like kind of moment we had before she lost a lot of language. So that got really burned into my brain. So like that moment was like a real heavy influence on this book in general. Um, And of course the, the last poem, like, kind of more fully unpacks that and you know in some ways like the last poem like to me demonstrates like a lot of like forgiveness um of just recognizing that you know she's like been through her own journey and that like I'm like you know beholden to like some of her journey and some of the work that she did like as a woman you know it's like affects me um and the process that I went through um so yeah it kind of like came around to a softer angle um after like dealing with anger you know if if she hadn't had a brain tumor and if she was still around would you still hold anger towards her um it's a great question like at this point in my life um you know probably i'm in aries so i hold a lot of anger <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I deal with it well, but you know, like definitely someone who can like be petty for a while. But are Aries known for that? Aries are known for anger. I'm 
I don't know if I identify so much with, like, I don't yell at people, but I definitely kind of get tarched up about things. And it, like, takes me a while to work through, um, like, conflict in a certain way. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I would feel at this point. Maybe I would have gotten over it. Now that I, like, feel more secure in myself as a trans person, I think I'm less angry in general at other people's misconceptions about it um so probably would have had some sort of resolve yeah what would your advice be for like a young person that maybe was going through some of the things you were going through would like do would you suggest they write poetry definitely i think everyone should write mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of like poetry that it's just like um you know really helps move things like through the body you know like writing in general or just like journaling uh like i don't i feel like i figure everything out through writing um definitely like figuring out transness like was able to like because i wrote so much in journals all the time was able to go back and be like whoa i'm just like actually writing about being trans this whole time it's like a good way to have like a record of things you know not that we all need to have like linear narratives or like those clues in the past but it's like just helpful to kind of like track um yeah what was like happening you know yeah yeah would you ever do your own like online workshop um i'm doing an in-person workshop soon wow. i don't know about online but yeah i'm doing an in-person workshop that's like uh going to include elements of like thinking about techno music um cool in relation to poetry that i'm pretty excited about Can you explain yeah. that like how does that work sure so um i hope nobody who's taking the workshop will be listening to this because i want it to be a little bit of a surprise but um i'm thinking about so like early techno music um it was like the Belleville Three out of Detroit. Um, Juan Atkins was the kind of like thinker of the group in a way, not that the other ones weren't thinking about it, but Juan Atkins was like really, um, you know, like insistent that techno music, like early techno music could help with like what he was reading. Um, I always mix up the name. It's like Alvin Toffler or Todd Affler. I like do that with names all the time. But this dude who wrote this book, Future Shock, like wrote predicted basically what we think of as like pseudo ADHD, where like everyone kind of has this like lag in thinking because like our brains can't keep up with like the exponential rate at which technology is escalating. Um, so Juan Atkins felt like if he were like able to like make a genre of music that could help our like souls basically like transition into the technological age that it like would be techno um so i was just thinking a lot about that in this like current era where we have like you know like artificial intelligence like popping up and like what that does to writing um and just like so many elements of like technology that are influencing like you know like there's a lot of like poetry that's like you know influenced by technology in general um or like texting culture or like you know instagram culture um all that is kind of like being infused into poetry so i was just thinking a lot about like what would the kind of like techno poetry be like how would we like incorporate technology into poetry to kind of like 
help transition our souls into the technological age. Like, I don't believe that I can like actually achieve that, but I just like like thinking about that concept and like what Juan Atkins was like trying to do with techno music. Have you seen the controversy that was like happening like today on Twitter about uh, someone won a chapbook contest using like AI and they said that they did and like everyone was freaking out about it. And then like the chapbook people, they came out and they said, no, in the contest, like rules, we deliberately state that that is one of the things that we were asking for is to use AI. Wow. Is it, yeah. was it poetry? Huh? Was it poetry? Yeah. Wow. I should definitely look into that. Yeah, the magazine um, was like L Diagram. Yeah, I know that magazine. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's it's crazy. <laughs> that's one of those big Twitter things. Everyone starts flipping out because a lot of the people that are flipping out know knew nothing about the magazine or the rules or anything. Mm. How do you feel yeah. about that? Oh, you know, complicated. I think that like technology can be used as like a mode of inspiration or rather that we have to kind of like give into it to like certain extent as a mode of inspiration in terms of it like totally like you know like i don't know just writing an entire topic for us like yeah like it's called like what does that even mean anymore in terms of like uh a writer's like voice um but yeah i don't know i've tried to use chat gpt for like a poem and it fucking sucks yeah it just I, starts rhyming yeah. everything i'm like don't yeah. use rhymes and it just yeah. uses rhymes still yeah yeah that's why i'm like curious like what they use to like make that chapbook like actually good enough to win um you know yeah because when i've tried like getting it to write poetry it just like rhymes and says like stupid stuff yeah well i kind of looked into it and i think the writer the writer is uh like a black woman and they were asking the it's the language thing to like for like black stories and mm -hmm. then they were writing against that i think that's what's going on it's, okay. it's very interesting so it wasn't like using exactly what yeah was no added. no they added a lot of their own yeah. language like what the workshop i'm going to be doing is where it's like you know i mean like that's what we do with like other people's work yeah. all the time you I know, know. It's like like read another person's poem and then like take off from that you know like there's so much of art is like not original to begin with that you know i don't totally i don't see a problem in like taking inspiration from ai you know? yeah so have you written poetry to like techno music um no i have not yet this is kind of like a newer concept but i have written to jazz before like jazz really helps my brain kind of like massage it into a poetic space um mm -hmm. and really techno is like a lot more influenced by jazz than the kind of like techno you might like think of um where it's like has a lot of like surprising elements to it and like interesting like drops it's like not the kind of like you know like beat drops and like climaxes that we like are used to now it's like just involved in a different way that is inspiring so i think i will be listening to techno when i write poetry but that's what i'm going to do for the workshop yeah have you performed it to techno or have you performed your poems to jazz on stage actually like once i did like a long time ago i had like jazz playing behind a 
I don't know if it was necessarily poetry, but behind like a written performance. Um, but that's a good idea. <laughs> Have you ever performed like slam poetry? I haven't. You haven't? I could see you doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Have you thought about it? Yeah, I guess so. I and there's you not look really down on it. Slam. No, I don't look down okay. on it. I, not really a slam poetry. Um, weirdly, like slam poetry community in Western Mass. Um, so it's not something that's like readily like accessible here. You know, um, unless if there's like some shit that I'm missing. You know, there could be. Are yeah. you very comfortable in Western Mass? Definitely. Yeah, I love it here. It's like. Uh, just a beautiful place. It's like, I don't know, got my little garden. And like, there's a lot of farms here, and everyone just goes swimming all summer. Um, yeah, it's cool. When you were starting out, who were some of your very, your favorite poets when you were first starting out? And who are your favorite poets now? Um, when I was first starting out, like, well, definitely C.A. Conrad was like a huge influenced for me um like rocked my world like early on in poetry um or my like poetic discoveries and now at this point i mean like it's crazy because like so many of my like favorite poets just live here like western mass has a lot of poets um that live here i think because of the five colleges you know but it's like ocean bong and cameron Arkard rich and Franny Choi and Peter Gizzy, like there's just like an incredible amount of like poets that I like respect so deeply that are just like, you know, my neighbors and it's cool. Does Caroline Rayner live there? Yes, Caroline Rayner does live there. Also one of my Simone Wilds is such an amazing book. I've read it four times now. You read it four times? Yeah, it's pretty good. Four times. Well, I read it before she published it like a couple times, but yeah, I've read it twice since it's been published. Uh, that goes hard fucking court. Yeah, it's so, I don't know if you've ever seen her like perform it, but she's like just so, she's a beast. <laughs> What's your favorite piece from that? Um, well, it's all like one long. No, poem. yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to like, I don't know, there's like imageries of like, you know, <laughs> I don't know, it's like pretty sexual, but it like, is. It's very like, yo, I was like reading it and I was like, I'm kind of like, I guess, prudish just in a way. And I was not expecting it to be like that hardcore. It's like, whoa. And then I looked at the cover, I was like, oh my God, it's about this. I did yeah. not expect it. Yeah, like yeah, I'm like embarrassed to say my favorite part. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. But yeah, Caroline's amazing. Yeah, and Rochelle like did live here. She's back in Buffalo now, but Rochelle Tormia was here for a while. And yeah, she went to college there. Yeah, she did the MFA program at UMass. Was it the same one you went to? Yeah, yeah, that's how we met. Were you guys going to the school together? Um, she was two years after me. Um, but yeah, we lived together, actually. You lived with Rochelle? Yes. In Aiden? Was... Not Aiden. So when Aiden, Aiden came to town and he took her away from me, which is totally fine. But they, you know, <laughs> had to move in together to get their own apartment. But Rochelle lived with me for two years while she was doing the program. Where was Aiden? Was he back in Buffalo? Yeah, in Buffalo. 
Oh, yeah. I'm spilling the tea here. Yeah. <laughs> so how long were you from when you graduated, like uh, undergrad to uh, your MFA? I took a lot of time out because I think I started my MFA when I was 30. Um, yeah, and graduated undergrad at 22. So, yeah. So during that time, was poetry something that you knew that you're going to take it seriously? I had no idea. Yeah, I really did come in from a weird angle. It was just not. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I was like a punk. I was partying, like just doing weird stuff for years. It was like, like you a know, lot of poets are like that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like I don't know. Yeah, poetry is very punk. <laughs> yeah, totally, it is. <laughs> But when do you decide, I guess it's during your MFA that you decide, I'm going to take this seriously. And then you start spending all your time on poetry uh, away from the other things that you used to do. And was that like a hard decision or was that a difficult thing to concentrate from? It happened pretty fast that things were just clicking where, I don't know, it was just like a whole like new world of like brain space for me where i was just like pretty jazzed on it like pretty quickly um yeah and you know i really like, wasn't sure at first because i was like oh i'm just like here for like it's like a thing to do i got like a job through the school like great health care i was like very aware of like the um in terms of like transitioning medically like umass like provides like you know i was like able to get top surgery and like get testosterone like through the school itself and like at the time in western mass there was like one testosterone doctor and like one top surgeon and it was like really hard to kind of like navigate that system now it's like totally different there's like so much trans healthcare in western mass which is why i think there's so many trans people that live here but um like yeah you know at first i was like oh i'm just like using the system and like pretty quickly i was like oh like i love this like i'm like in this you know for forever <laughs> um yeah yeah it's like become such an important i don't even know if it like feels like an important like career path it's not a career at all it's just like i just write poetry every morning now like with my coffee as like a way to deal you know it just became such an important like coping mechanism um for me so yeah so you have like a set schedule every day you know i'd like to um it kind of like varies I, i'm somebody who like will go through like a really like hardcore like routine in the morning and then kind of just like mess it all up you know like i, I think also aries thing where i like to kind of like make a mess and then like clean it up a bunch i'm like virgo rising too so like the virgo likes to clean up the aries mess so i go through cycles where i'm like very intentional but i do write every day um how do you know when you're done with a poem? How do I know when I'm done? I don't think I'm ever done with a poem, this problem. But when I, like, step away from it, I don't know. I think it's when I just, like, can't look at it anymore. <laughs> so are there poems in the book that you feel are unfinished or have been published in a way that you would change? Honestly, like, most of them I'm probably going to feel that way about. Really? You know? Oh, also, I can like, I can let go. I think a lot of poets feel that way, where they like, 
you know, feel like they could keep going with it forever, but you got to stop at some point, you know. But how do you uh, know? I guess I don't know. It's <laughs> typical for me. Yeah, but I feel, feel like like... peace with it, where I'm like, can kind of like, yeah, you know, we'll see how I feel in a few years. But yeah, have you ever written like the perfect poem? Honestly, I like feel. I don't know if it's like perfect, but like AstroTurf came out of me in such a like intense way that every time I read it, I'm just like, whoa, like, you know, but it like yeah. amps you up that you're a writer and like I fucking did this. Yeah. yeah, it definitely amps me up or just like, yeah, came out with like such a strong burst of emotion that even if it's not perfect and it's like former content, like the emotion of it felt so raw that that's like good enough for me you know yeah and i have a question about the poem a beckoning mm-hmm. is that an erasure poem a beckoning no it's not an erasure poem um it's um yeah i don't know it was actually gonna be at the beginning of the book but it's basically just kind of like introducing the like concept of like, yeah, just like dreaming about like the prince, like kind of what I was like talking about before when I was like yeah. a little, but I always wanted like a prince to kind of like come in and like, you know, tuck me into bed and like solve all my problems. So it was like this kind of like scattered, like just like almost like the styles kind of like beckoning me, like falling asleep kind of vibe. Um, Cause I think so much of my, poetry and like childhood like fantasy came in that like period of time like I write a lot like right before I go to bed as well and when I wake up in the morning so it was like really coming from that space of you know sleep in that poem I noticed after a light and then before light a few lines down there's four periods and not the usual three for an ellipses Mm -hmm. it was that that's obviously it's a deliberate choice because it's behind uh after and before the same word totally i mean a few of them have right like four yeah i can't even like tell you why <laughs> i'm gonna analyze it do that. There's, like, a lot of stuff in my poems where it's like <laughs> just like vibing it out you know like feeling it like i kind of like doing things like that because it's like there's so much about poetry where there's like so much pressure to like make everything like have like a specific meaning and like sometimes i like throwing in like you know i'm like aware that i'm like doing it but i like just like throwing in like a certain thing because it feels right you know it's like a gesture of like you know you're making a stroke yeah you know yeah totally Okay, I gotta ask another question. <laughs> I'm just looking at some of these. So, okay. Mm. Can you read tonight? I'm a problem. We'll talk about that one. <laughs> tonight, I'm a problem. I shave one leg to feel I am sleeping with a woman who is me. Um. <laughs> Yeah, tonight I'm a problem. So this kind of like, 
the problem is me being like it's like a little transphobic you know because it's like not all like you know or like not even like transphobic it's like you know like misogynistic too or whatever it's like playing around with like gender with this like funny idea whereas like i actually like did that one day where i was like shaved one leg and was like just laughing about thinking about <laughs> like one leg being a man and like one leg being a woman but like obviously like hair doesn't like uh you know specify like gender like any gender can like wear or like have their hair or body hair in like any way um you know but it was like playing around with with that with the expectation that trans people are like supposed to be like totally uh on point about you know like those like everything basically or like be on point about like every gender aspect but like it is a real thing for me that like my brain still like has moments like that where I'm like working through like I feel weird about like when I wear skirts and have leg hair my brain will kind of like do this like moment of being like oh that's like unattractive you know and it's like that poem is kind of just like me being real about moments like that and like not kind of like another instance of not feeding into this linear like trans narrative where we like have our story straight and like everything's on point and like right and now I've landed here and like you know like I like know how to wield like gender in like a perfect way it's kind of just like saying that like I'm not perfect and there's actually like poems that like talk about like being a problem throughout like I'm a problem again like and me problem um it's our problem free like the like oh yeah you know like concept like it's our problem free in particular kind of like points at like the like flaws of like being a, a white queer person and like queer intimacy of like how like derpy it can be mm -hmm. uh, in the sense and like I'm a problem again talks about how I like you know will kind of like go after this like woman observing a moment of transphobia over like the man who like committed the transphobia you know it's just like all these like moments where i'm just like not being perfect and i feel like that's like so important for trans people to like expose that about themselves like you know and like have these like moments where it's like i'm like a little messy you know or like these like things and thoughts and feelings are true for me um and yeah on like that one the speaker was angry at the woman who was giving a weird look at the guy yeah that said the transphobic thing mm -hmm. totally I like that yeah not because <laughs> it was like it threw me off it yeah <laughs> it's a real feeling to kind of like you know there is like it is one experience to kind of like encounter like a direct like transphobia and then it's like another experience to like you know even when somebody thinks that they're being like an ally or a sympathizer like oftentimes they can be putting more pressure on us to perf keep performing you know mm -hmm. so it's a feeling where it's like i don't want i don't share this with you like why are you you know like sympathizing with me in this like moment like actually just like leave me alone you know and it's like oftentimes people don't think through that like element of things you know and it's like you know it's also like not perfect too because of course people are gonna like have their reactions and like you know but yeah it's like the naive white liberal that's overreacting and like you just like exactly just like yeah. react yeah totally i have shaved my legs before because i was in this assignment for like immersion journalism class for uh it was like a drag assignment 
and I was supposed to do drag, but I ended up not doing it. I just went to a drag show, and then I was up on stage for one of their games. But anyways, I had created this whole character named like Bulba Vice, and I was going to perform um, a song by Hole, and it was called like We Are Not the Same. And I was looking at your acknowledgments, and like one of the poems like references a whole song. Totally. I just thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I love. Do you like? Well, I guess I guess you would if you're going to reference one of their songs. Oh, of course, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. The poem I think it's so real. I'm beyond. Um, yeah, and that one has a lot to do also. With like, I mean, there's like so much of like not going by the linear trans narrative where it's like I think it's so real. I'm beyond. Like, is like about committing to the bit of like, you know, it's like you're trans if you're like just committing to the bit and you like have stakes in the game and like an entrenchment with it, then it's like, you're good. It's like, you don't have to kind of like prove how you got here. You don't have to be a man. Like you can be a woman plus is like one of the lines in that where it's like, you know, just like relieving some of that pressure of like, like I think every trans person feels like to some extent they're like, am I, is this real? Am I faking this? And it's kind of just like leaning into that being like, who cares, you know, like commit to the bit and you're, you're in like, join us, you know? Yeah. Do you think trans is a bit? Sometimes? You know, in some ways, um, you know, I, I do feel complicated because I'm like giving the, <laughs> the choices real kind of like get, like I do feel like, quote unquote like born this way like you know I do feel like there's like biological elements but that that stuff gets so uh biological determinism gets really messy really quickly and like I think that part of what the book is trying to do is like not to say that like being trans is like made up or whatever just like an act but it's like you know all gender is made up like all gender performance so it's just kind of like acknowledging that to some extent where it's like and like you know trans the word like transgender in and of itself is like that's like a a word in english right it's like a western category it's like we're like filling the buckets that we've like created you know so it's like very much like wrapped up in like yeah and like you know whiteness as well and like those are like important things to consider when you're like laying claim over like a territory of like oh like this is like born this way like biologically like this is what transgender is it's like it's like not it's not the case it's like a lot messier than that and it's a lot more um like culturally like manufactured than all that so yeah i hate that born this way got picked up that's like this major thing and Mm -hmm. they applied it to like the whole experience of like the lgbtqi plus like Mm -hmm. entire community it was like it was just a Lady Gaga song, and they just started plastering it everywhere. It's just like the "it gets better" shit back like ten years ago. Yeah, totally. It's like a good idea, and then they over fucking yeah. took it. Yeah. I mean, I think at the time it's like that's what they felt they had to do in order to stop the everyone killing themselves. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and to like have a a stake in something, it can be really like um, dysregulating for some people to not feel as though they were born this way because then it's like too loose of a construct where they're yeah. like what the hell, you know <laughs> like, um, but yeah yeah, some people like need that to kind of like anchor their brains, I do it too sometimes where I'm just like what the hell is going on, like I must have been born this way, you know, like but yeah, yeah, it's complicated I wish more people were, jeez yeah we gone an hour. Would you like to keep going or do yeah, you want to wrap it up? 
whatever you're feeling you can talk for a little more if you want <laughs> uh, i usually go 90 minutes cool but th that might be too much okay <laughs> one of the things that i hate you were talking about how good it is in western mass and where it's not good is here in oklahoma because i dropped out in 2014 i went back in 2019 i take some creative classes every now and then where i come um i guess some of the other students are trans and they're like really fucking good and like this state is just like driving them out because okay. they're they're still very young and now oklahoma has all these laws where like they can't even get like met like you can't even be a doctor they can't even be prescribed or you can't even talk about it to a doctor because the doctor will be like locked up or some shit yeah totally it's fucking so transphobic what other trans poets or writers have really like had an effect on you totally i mean oh my god there's so many <laughs> that i mean like um you know camera awkward rich obviously is like a big one for me and ca conrad as well um you know like love eileen miles <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> they're, they're a big one um what's your favorite eileen miles book yeah I'm gonna say Inferno, which I love their like poets novels. Um but yeah. Um would you write a novel? Yeah, I'm actually right now working <gasps> on prose. I feel guilty about it because I, I'm still writing poetry every morning, but I'm not working on a poetry book. And for some reason I feel like I'm betraying something in myself, but I've been working on this like epistolary uh, I think you call it like a Ramona Clay or whatever, where you like change the names of things, but it's like I'm writing letters to my ex-boyfriends. It's kind of like going along with the, what I've been talking about, but like defying a linear narrative. Like it starts off with this like date that I'm on with like a cis woman who was like assuming that I've like never like dated men. Um, and me being like, oh, I was like actually a straight woman until I was 28 and kind of like honoring that history of like and like not having to supply this like linear like trans narrative where i was like you know uh like you know i like wasn't like a butch lesbian before and then became like a trans man or whatever and it's like still very much me where i feel like i'm this like just weird girl <laughs> you know it's like yeah and not only was i straight but i was like chaotic and like pretty homophobic and which is just like not the narrative that you would expect you know i was like wait you're homophobic yeah definitely <laughs> yeah. yeah i was a total i was like a total troll when i was younger where did um, that come from your parents um <laughs> yeah to some extent like i think like obviously like internalized like self-loathing um yeah i was like that too with like very feminine men like when in my like early 20s mm -hmm. i just like was very femme phobic i would say until I took this like that immersion journalism class and then I went into the gay clubs and like feminine men were like very, very nice to me. And then I started liking them a lot. Yeah. And I think it's like easy to be homophobic in this like culture where like, you know, like, I mean, like there was only like two out gay men at my high school and I was friends with them. I wasn't like homophobic in that I was like, I hate gay people, but mm -hmm. was like definitely like. I don't one of the things I write about is that I like dressed up as like oh my god <laughs> I like dressed up as like a gay basher um there's oh like god. 
happened like at the Amherst College like basketball team had like gay bashed like um a local or they're like there's like an LGBTQ plus party and the Amherst basketball team gay bashed it and so I showed up to my college's drag ball with like an Amherst basketball jersey on and was like dressed up as a gay basher it was just like doing things like that where I was just like totally trolling like at Hampshire College where I went like there was like a substantial amount of like gay people so maybe I felt like they were the dominant culture like who knows what I was thinking but was like you know and some of that was like being punk too or it's like I thought that I was being uh edgy to a certain extent but you know like I sincerely do remember like I can like go back in my like memory scape and like feel what it felt like to think that gay people were like just like not cool or like people that were like genderqueer were like ugly. You know, I was like this kind of like pretty popular girl. And like, remember, I remember there was this like, before I even like really understood what trans was, there was this like trans dude who like came up to me and was like, oh, you and your friend Emma are like the most beautiful girls in school. And I remember like looking at him and being like, oh, like you are like pathetic. Like, of course you think we're, beautiful like what a sad little like life you live and like looking back like that dude was like totally a babe <laughs> it was like so hot you know and it's like it's like crazy to be able to like access that mindset and kind of like see how some people like might see me now you know um but like definitely you know remember what it was like to be kind of like a pretty like popular straight woman who was like yeah like looking down on gay people in a particular way and it's it's so real yeah do you think you're like that until i feel like we're like kind of fed mainstream shit until we start reading like literature and poetry and then it starts opening up our brain waves to other people's experiences and then maybe we become more empathetic or sympathetic to other shit totally yeah. i don't want to make it like some over generalization that like literature is great but yeah and that's where, like, I actually did start reading, like, Eileen Miles before I came out as, like, queer even. And I think that, like, was a element where I was, like, aware of that. And was just, like, seeing, like, gay people making art and, like, having moments where, like, I remember, like, I, like, saw, like, J.D. Sampson from, like, the Tigris slash, like, other bands that they do. But, like, saw them perform and was, like, whoa, this person's, like, insanely hot. Like, you know, like, definitely it was, like slowly kind of like coming to through yeah witnessing people doing their things and different artistic mediums but like honestly i think it was like less so that i was like oh i'm empathizing and more so that i was like oh you're a babe mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. how do you go from like the popular girl to like the punk rock kid um i don't even know what happened i think we just like uh, I say we because it was like me and the other like hot girls like just like met we were like bad too you know um our crew and like we're just like hanging out with like the other people that like did drugs and that was like punk people you know um yeah yeah because like drugs necessarily okay. mean like that I was like you know mainstream or whatever I was just like uh -huh. popular in the context of this like alternative school what drugs were they doing? 
um you know <laughs> like hard drugs definitely like doing heroin like meth? meth yeah for sure oh i definitely smoke meth uh, <laughs> i was like not nah, yeah one one woman like lost all her teeth it was really fucked up but yeah we were like hitting shit pretty hard uh yeah i think that was like a lot of my early experiences and like part of why i like didn't come to writing sooner was like i always call it like partying like i I have a hard time like saying that i had like a drug problem even though i like definitely had a drug problem um but yeah like i'm always like oh i just like partied too much to be like reading you know but like definitely spent most of my early to mid to late (laughs) well i think it's better people do that and they get out of it and then write because it makes for more better experiences than just like all these boring people to add like mundane lives and there's kind of boring people totally like exciting people that yeah it's a trade-off where it's like i have all these like crazy things that have happened that i'm like trying to write about but especially with like writing prose it's like really hard like my brain is like yeah like struggling to kind of like focus in a way that i think you know, I could have like developed some more skills when I was younger to be able to do that, but I'm dealing with the consequences of that now. So, um, yeah. Oh, I think. Am I free? Am I frozen up? No. All right, cool. So, <laughs> how'd you get out of that that scene? Um, you know, I'm not like totally out of it. Like, I'm still friends with. A lot of the people that I was in, but honestly, it was just coming out as queer. Uh, you know, the punk scene that I was involved in was not very queer. And so I had a point where I kind of had to like refresh and, um, you know, like the like politics that I was like holding. Like, I remember when like, so like the Western Mass punk scene, like it used to be like mostly local people. And I feel like I was like, one of the early people that like went to college and was like, you know, like a kind of like transient person. Cause I'm originally from Boston. Like I'm not from Western mass. So it was a kind of like a newer person. And then there was just more and more like college people and like more and more like women and queer people that were like starting to join the scene. And I remember early on there was like, we had this like woman's meeting where we were like complaining about the behavior of the boys and <laughs> I remember uh, being really defensive about it. And I was like, these are our boys, like, fuck off, you know? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it was like, didn't, you know, I was like, really not uh, so clued into like feminism. There's also like issues of accessibility in terms of like the mosh pit, et cetera, you know, that I was just like really not down with. And like, you know, like kind of, I don't know, maybe there's like some sort of like, maybe I'm just like not like a good person or something that it like took me like needing to (laughs) you know like when I like came out as like queer I was like oh this is my community now so I have to like adapt you know it was like essentially like part of what was happening um that like in order to kind of like thrive in my queerness like I realized that I had to like wake up you know like also realize that I was like causing that these things were causing harm i was causing harm in a way you know and like kind of had a wake-up call and like a maturation process and i think like you know like doing a lot of substances like makes you <laughs> can make you kind of like a selfish person in a way so as i like i just like hit a phase in life where i started 
you know, yeah, like chilling out and like sobering up and like taking my life more seriously and like wanting to live in a certain way. Um, like realizing that there was like, you know, I'd been like having a problem of like wanting to be outside of my body, not realizing that I was like dealing with trans stuff. And as soon as I like located the problem and realized that I could be in my body, like I started to treat my body better, you know? What is that? What is that like wanting to be outside of your body? I don't even know. It's like dissociative. (laughs) Do you start hating your own skin, I guess? For sure. Yeah. Um, You know, it was like, I mean, I think just like doing a lot of like, it's like kind of, yeah, I think like part of why I was like doing so many substances is just kind of like exit my like, I think that's really common with trans people is that like a lot of us like have gone through substance abuse issues. Honestly, I can't even, I don't know. I can think of like a couple trans people that haven't, but I like really can't think of that many that haven't like had some like serious like substance abuse problems. It's like common to kind of like want to, yeah, just like not understand like what's like happening with the body and like not being able to like, like rationalize it or like, you know, like synthesize like what's like happening. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah. But as soon as you're like able to kind of bring language and understanding to that and like, you know, potentially do something about it, like, you know, that is a game changer for sure. Did you ever do mushrooms? Did that ever like help? I guess. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I still do mushrooms. (laughs) Okay. So then mushrooms do help. Yeah, I think, you know, anything, any uh, hallucinogenic in moderation is, like, pretty helpful. Um, like, mushrooms in general, I feel like, definitely, like, bring me in touch with my my body. Yeah. It unifies you with your body? Yeah. Or I just feel, like, maybe my senses is more accurate. Like, I feel more in touch with my, like, sensory experience. Were you ever suicidal? For sure, um, you know, like never like seriously, like never made like any attempts or whatever. But I think that's also a pretty common aspect mm-hmm. of like, you know, like queer experiences. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah especially for teenagers. It's yeah. Fucking lonely too. Yeah, totally. Do you feel like this is like? Well, I guess in Western Mass, did, was there already a community of trans people when you weren't trans, or when you didn't think you were queer? I didn't know about them, you know, so, like, I'm, like, I mean, there's definitely, like, more and more now, like, at the time, I mean, there was, like, definitely more trans people here than there would be, like, elsewhere um, that I was, like, able to kind of, like, visually see in a certain way, but it, like, took me a minute to... Yeah, like, figure out where people were hanging out. Like, there's not a lot of queer spaces here. There's, like, a spot here and there where queer people, like, assemble. But it's, like, that's definitely an issue of, like, you know, yeah. So it's, like, there was, like, pockets of, like, trans people where they were just, like, hanging out with each other, like, in their houses, you know. It wasn't, like, easy to kind of, like, access them in a particular space. Yeah, did you did you find or connect with anyone over the internet very early on in your like queer awakening? Um, not so much. It took me a while to kind of like get the hang of the internet. Um, 
so like yeah not so much i wish i wish that i like had more of like you know like i think like a lot of marginalized communities kind of like will be able to like connect and like find each other through the internet in a way that's pretty healthy it sounded like you were mostly like in very social situations with like other people mm-hmm. when you were when you were like i guess maybe more like homophobic and you're realizing this about your body and what you're realizing was it was there anyone near you that you could even reach out to um you know i like had queer friends that were like present throughout and i think that and like to some extent like on the fringes you know because they were like friends with me but also just like watching me be like chaotic you know and like it wasn't that i was like so outwardly homophobic that i like didn't have like queer friends you know i was just like doing messy stuff but like um you know i like once i came out as queer those people just came into my inner circles you know so they were always kind of like waiting and watching like everyone knew that i was gay like when i came out everyone was like yeah dude like (laughs) like you're so gay like whatever so i think that yeah they've always been like present angels on the wings if you will but yeah how'd you get into the anthology the trans anthology um just submitted yeah were they did were they like looking through magazines or did you have to submit to it I submitted, yeah. They had like an open call for trans radical poetics. Yeah, and night. how long had you been writing since prior the- to that? Yeah. Um, when was that? I guess like only. I mean, like writing for you know my whole life, but in terms of like seriously doing poetry, only a few years by that point. Yeah. Did you when you read the book? Was there anyone like, oh, I gotta try and meet this person? Um, totally. I'm like blanking on some names now that like stood out, but in general, like meeting like Andrea Abikram is like, I mean, they're so incredible. <laughs> like, I love them. Yeah. Is there anyone from there you would want me to try to get an interview with? Um, I'll get back to you on that. I'm like, okay. like a lot of it damn yeah i haven't even i need to buy it and read that yeah there's a a lot in there all right so we've been talking for almost 80 minutes is there anything you want me to ask you (laughs) i think i'm waiting for you to ask me not that i can think of i remember during the reading there was a poem you read and it was the the titles of the movies yes would you like to read that? And were you aware, like, there was, like, I feel like during the reading, like, everyone kind of was like, okay, here's this poem that you described about the title from the movies. And there's just, like, this moment where, like, everyone sat up and was like, holy shit, what's going on right now? <laughs> totally, yeah. I, I like the effect of this poem. Um, yeah. And when you're it. writing this, did you know, just, like, did something come to you? Or, like, holy shit, there's something going on. Um, I I knew before I wrote this that there was like a pattern in 
like movie titles. So the poem is called Now Screening and it's a accumulation of like, I just did a bunch of research on like movies about trans people, which actually now it's a little different. Like we get different titles nowadays cause like trans people are like becoming more of a, I don't know, like whatever. I don't even know how to describe it, but it, or we have yeah. more media now um but yeah so i assembled every movie i could find that was like even remotely about a trans person and strung them together so now screening boy i am real boy tomboy shinjuku boys boys don't cry a boy named sue she's a boy i knew lady boys boy meets girl it's a boy girl thing i am a girl dressed as a girl girl inside the danish girl soldier's girl different for girls a girl like me girl i am a woman now just like a woman kiss of the spider woman let me die a woman woman on fire a fantastic woman another woman my dad is a woman no ordinary man <laughs> yeah i was just noticing that like every movie that was about trans people had to have like girl boy woman or man of just like you know like announcing like gender in the title of it and you know I like wrote that poem or included it in this book in particular because there's so much in the book that's about media landscapes that we have options towards you know so it's like I'm writing about like early childhood exposure to like you know the Disney princess kind of like narratives of like how that's like hetero brainwashing or like you know, like with the queer villains kind of brainwashing us into thinking queer people are evil. Um, but then thinking about the options, like, well, what if we do want to, you know, watch things about trans people? Like, what is the lesson that we're like absorbing from that? Is that we like can't have movies that aren't explicitly about our gender in a certain way. Yeah. If you wrote a trans movie, what would it be about? If I wrote a trans movie, what would it be about? I mean, and then taking off from this poem or conversation, like maybe it would just be about like a normal <laughs> trans movie. We wouldn't even like talk about the person being trans, you know? It wouldn't uh, even be a trans movie. It would just involve. Yeah, just be trans, you know? I mean, uh, that's the dream for, yeah, marginalized like representation of people just like, you know, at the same time, like, yeah, you want your marginalization, like, it's, you're not like disappearing it, you know, like, is a thing to be like considered and talked about as like a real, you know, like it's a reality, <laughs> like mm -hmm. um, the social constructs of it. But at the same time, it's like so many people just want to exist, you know, in a way. Would so, it be yeah. a musical or a horror movie? I secretly I love a musical and I love a horror movie. I don't know. Maybe it would be both a musical and a horror movie. <laughs> Do you think films like Freaky Friday or like body swap movies could be considered trans movies? One of those movies is a body swap movie that's not necessarily oh, yeah. I think that's it's like a she's a boy something like that. Yeah. It's like one of those was a body swap. Um yeah, I think they're like definitely like inadvertently <laughs> like trans and content and like can be um i was watching one with like i think it was like rob schneider or something i forget the name oh of that. yes but where yeah and it's like of course those movies like end up being like cool is it inadvertent like they're transphobic you know and like oh, it's yeah certain, totally. yeah but also so funny to me <laughs> isn't it called like hot chick 
Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, I remember watching that movie in the theaters. Yes, that's a very problematic. Yeah. Movie. What is the? Did you make the? Did you choose the cover of the book? Yeah, my friend. Um, that's me in a mermaid tail, actually. Um, my friend Antonia Colodra, the photographer, shot it. We're just in my backyard. <laughs> And you chose to lay on grass instead of like a watery. Mm-hmm. Totally to be a kind of like. Like you're dried out. Yeah, dried out merman. <laughs> yeah. Have you wanted to be a merman? Like, would you go into the sea and try to swim? You know, I love the water. I like love swimming all the time. I don't know if the ocean is like totally my vibe. I feel like I like lakes and rivers a lot but that's just because i'm like in western mass but like yeah i definitely feel drawn to water and swimming it's very soothing a lot of rivers down there oh my god there's so many that's all anyone does here in the summers they just like go to swim spots and hang out you go tubing hell yeah yeah definitely just get high and go tubing yeah definitely that's (laughs) awesome i went tubing in austin texas it was it was okay, but it could have been better. It's just like it's very like commercialized, and you have to like go buy a tube and pay the money for it. You can't just like go hang out in a river. Yeah, yeah, it's more like hanging out in a river around here. Like people just bring their tubes, their own tubes. Yeah. What's the funnest thing you've done, like in a river? The funnest thing I've done in a river. <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't even fun at all but it's the first thing that pops to mind is the one time i watched my ex-girlfriend <laughs> poop in a river <laughs> wow she was like in the river and she like pooped and her poop just like popped up and just like went down river and i was like that is so rude and nasty <laughs> are you guys like skinny like skinny dipping I don't know. I feel like she just like pulled her bottoms out or something and just pooped. It was just Did the you... most chaotic thing I've like ever seen. <laughs> she had to like shit real bad. She's gonna hold it in. No, she was like, she was trouble, you know. Like she probably could have held it. <laughs> Were you like, this is hot? I'm so turned on by this. I, no, I was like, this is evil. <laughs> Which is hot, yeah. <laughs> the evil people are the hottest ones, yeah. Yeah, All right. Disney has demonstrated. <laughs> I guess I should let you go because it's been almost 90 minutes. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me. It's great talking. No problem. I, I saw that you were in the Shabby Dollhouse. Yes, they're so cool. Yeah. All right. So you've been published. Do, what do you want to? I don't know. Yeah, you're in the Shabby Dollhouse. How was that? I guess. And then I'll let you go. Shabby Dollhouse. Um, yeah. I just love all the people that are like associated with Shabby Dollhouse. You know, Caroline Rayner put that uh, particular composition of poetry together. So it was an honor. Um, yeah, love her. All right. Well, I guess I'll see you later. All right. Thank you. Have a good Thank night. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And that was Jason Curie with The Choice is Real, which you can pick up now. It's out by Metatron uh, Press. I was not expecting that.
You never know what someone's story, someone's narrative is going to be. And it said some really smart shit. Sometimes I just get more interested in people's backstories. But these poems are really fucking good. And they're very, very good.